1: Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of Metcalf & Associates, I work with leaders and their organizations, identifying the trends that will most likely disrupt their businesses and develop business strategies and business and leadership practices to leverage those trends to create strategic advantage. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author of an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organizations. I'm also an adjunct faculty member in universities in the U.S. and Germany. With me today is Dr. Gleb Saporsky. Gleb is passionate about promoting science-based decision-making and emotional and social intelligence to help leaders, organizations, and our society avoid disasters. He researches these topics as a tenure track professor at the Ohio State University and serves as the volunteer president of a nonprofit devoted to popularizing behavioral science, intentional insights. Glub has published several books and numerous articles, appears frequently on radio, TV, and podcasts as a guest expert, gives speeches to diverse audiences, and is frequently hired as a consultant by business nonprofits and municipalities. So the purpose of this show is to help leaders tap into the range of topics that they need to understand and in some cases master to help them remain effective in transforming their organizations. With the volume of change we're facing right now, all leaders will need to modify how they behave and how they lead to ensure that their organizations are successful. So the outcome of this show is focused on strong decision-making as one of the key skills for effective leaders, learning how to balance science-based approaches to decision-making and also leverage experience and intuition as a form of a solid foundation for leaders to improve how they make decisions and how they improve their decision-making process. During this discussion, Glubb shares several key points from his research, He'll share tips and underlying foundations to enable you to improve your decision-making skills. So Gleb, I'm delighted that you're here.
2: Thank you so much for having me on, Maureen. It's a pleasure to be on.
1: So why don't you give us a little bit of background? How did you come to this as something you're passionate about?
2: So this is something that really emerged from my teenage years. When I was living my life as a teenager, I saw business leaders all around me making really bad decisions ones that led to highly negative outcome for their companies. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm still of the generation that remembered the Enron debacle as something that really undermined a huge company and led to a great deal of suffering for their employees. And that stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And I also remember the time when Blockbuster was in every corner. And, you know, Netflix approached Blockbuster when Netflix was just getting started and said, hey, Blockbuster, do you want to partner with us to bring videos online? And Blockbuster said, no way, we're the big guys and you were not going to accomplish anything, so we're just going to stay and do our own thing. Mm. Well, you know, where's Netflix right now and where's Blockbuster right now? Blockbuster is bankrupt and Netflix is the big boy in the hill. So... Blockbuster made a really bad decision when they chose not to partner with Netflix, Mm -hmm. and so did Enron. And let's not even talk about the financial crisis of 2008, when a lot of ordinary people and business leaders made very bad decisions. Where's Lehman Brothers right now? You know, all leaders, there's so many leaders who make bad decisions that result in a great deal of suffering for their employees Mm -hmm. and, of course, really hurt their shareholders. So this is something that I really wanted to avoid. And I decided to study this topic. So decision making in business and in politics, especially the role of intuition versus intentional thinking. So that's the emotional and social intelligence part of what I do. Which I would love to hear more in this conversation. Hmm.
1: So let's get started with how do you use science-based strategies to avoid disasters in business environments?
2: Yeah. So there was a client of mine who was a really interesting case study. And this client, this is an engineering firm in Columbus, and it has about 200 staff. And this was a really interesting situation where they were trying to get their engineers to do more marketing. Now, Mm -hmm. If we think of engineers, engineers are not very enthusiastic about marketing. Let's say that way. Yeah, I work with several
1: engineers, and I would say they don't jump out of bed in the morning and say, let's go sell stuff.
2: Exactly. They're happy about their technical problem-solving skills. Mm-hmm. So this, uh, this is what they want to do. They want to solve problems. They're fascinated with their technical expertise. You know, a little bit mm-hmm. geeky, right? That's the personality of engineers. That's why mm-hmm. people go into the field. They don't go into the field to sell. And these, just to be clear... you just these described
1: are, me, by the way. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Myself as well. You know, it's not intuitive for me to share about my expertise. It's intuitive for me to, to do the thing as opposed to talk about the thing <laughs> that I specialize in. So this, is, this was a challenge for the company, and they were giving their engineers training in how mm. to do marketing. But you know what? They found that despite the training, the engineers weren't doing the thing, they weren't doing the marketing, they really weren't enthusiastic about going out and doing conference presentations and doing various papers, that's what they were fascinated with. So they brought me in they were like, well, what's wrong with our engineers? Are they just lazy? Are they incompetent? What's going on? And I talked to the engineers and what I found was that the engineers just weren't motivated to do the marketing. It was the problem was not that they were didn't have the skills, they didn't want to do it. And so the essence here was about emotions, about emotional intelligence and social intelligence. Okay. I went back to the HR staff and said, Hey, you know, the engineers aren't emotionally motivated to do this stuff and the HR staff went, What? Our engineers have emotions? <laughs> Actually, they do. Actually, they do. Mm -hmm. And you know what the research says? The research shows that about 80% of our decision-making, especially in everyday activities, is motivated by emotions, by how Mm -hmm. we feel, our intuitions. Now, those intuitions don't always lead us into the right direction, but they are really important. And it's really important Mm -hmm. to understand what's going on, how we feel, how we think because that determines how we think and how we act. So I worked with engineers to reframe the conversation about how they would do the marketing. When they were given training in marketing, they were told to do things like brand themselves, to develop their own brand, to think of themselves as a company, very jargony terms that didn't really resonate with engineers. Mm -hmm. And I reframed the conversation for engineers to think about themselves as to think about the goal of marketing as building their reputation among their peers. And so this stemmed from a research-based strategy of how people like engineers, what they're motivated by, what their needs are, what their Mm -hmm. desires are. And one of their fundamental desires is to be respected by their peers by fellow engineers. So that's a social status, kind of that's, you know, the broader Mm -hmm. category here Mm -hmm. is social status. So engineers are really motivated by social status among people like them, people who they respect. Mm -hmm. And so we talked about being thought leaders, about getting the social status, and the conversation was reframed in such a way that the engineers were much more motivated to do sales after that. We didn't call it sales, we called it Mm -hmm. thought leadership. And so the engineers were much more eager to do conference presentations, to do thought papers after these sorts of conversations. So next year there was something like a 40% increase in the engagement of engineers with various thought papers, conference presentations, which is what they needed to do. And client inquiries increased by about 25% after that. So that was the result of this intervention that was based on Mm -hmm. the research about how to get engineers to change their everyday decision-making to do something that they were not intuitively motivated to do. Mm-hmm. But they resulted with this change, with this intervention, they resulted in them doing it. It's about hurting the cats by getting them emotionally motivated to do the things that you want to do and make those decisions in their everyday environment.
1: So that's the story about how it worked. Mm -hmm. Can you give us a little bit of the science behind that? Because that's really where your research has happened, right?
2: Yes, exactly. So, the research shows that we have two systems of thinking. That's kind of a very rough division of our minds. Mm -hmm. And there's a traditional understanding of the ego and the superego or the subconscious and the conscious. Now, the research has really gone beyond that. So... The problem with the subconscious and the conscious framework is that the implication is that we can't access the subconscious. Now, that's not really true. So it turns out that we have two systems of thinking, but they're not divided in the way that we traditionally think of them as the conscious and the subconscious. Now a much better framework is to think of them as the autopilot system and the intentional system. The autopilot system is our emotional and intuitive system. So it's also called System 1, the scholarship. And people who want to read more about this can check out Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. Uh, yeah. So that's a well-known book about this. Uh, also, the Heath Brothers, Chip and Dan Heath have written mm-hmm. the book Decisive that talks about this. What is, what
1: is the Heath Brothers book called? Decisive. Decisive, okay.
2: Decisive. So those are two good resources. Now... The autopilot system is our emotions and intuitions, as I mentioned. It's the system that enabled us to survive in the savanna environment. It's mm. the fight or flight response. It's very powerful. Turns on in milliseconds. It takes you out of the way of a moving car, you know, before you start thinking about, hmm, should I get out of the way <laughs> of this moving car? <laughs>
1: we also have three interviews with Gary Weber mm-hmm. that focus specifically on the autopilot
2: system. Okay. Wonderful. So the autopilot system is the thing that does that. It's the flight or fight response. And that's very powerful. That's what we needed to survive Mm -hmm. in the savannah. Mm
1: -hmm. It's also what we need now to brush our teeth and put our clothes on no matter how Mm -hmm. tired we are.
2: Yes, yes. So it helps us do those things in the moment. It's kind Mm -hmm. of our mental habitual system. It's whatever. It's what we do in our everyday experience. And it feels comfortable. It's the Ah, gut system, so the gut, the intuitive system. And that comfort, a feeling of comfort when you do something comfortable without thinking about it, that's when you go with your autopilot system. And we call that habit, right? We call that habit, yes. So that's the gut intuitions, just Mm -hmm. whatever is habitual, whatever is comfortable, whatever we feel like doing. Mm -hmm. Now, the other system of thinking is called the intentional system or system two. That system developed much later in our evolutionary process Mm -hmm. for us to deal with essentially tribes, living in tribes, living in social interactions. So that's the intentional system. Now, it takes about a second to turn on. Now, the autopilot system takes several milliseconds. The intentional system is hundreds of times slower.
1: And that's the prefrontal cortex? Right. That's the
2: prefrontal cortex and several other things. So it's a little Mm. bit more complicated than the prefrontal cortex. The autopilot system is most associated with the amygdala, Mm -hmm. the older brain, but also Mm -hmm. several other parts of the brain. So the (laughs) challenge with the prefrontal cortex intentional system, like I said, it's much slower and it's also much weaker. When we get emotionally flooded by the hormones hormones from the, let's say the cortisol, the stress hormone, Mm -hmm. From the autopilot system, it's very hard for us to access the intentional system, which is the more logical, reasonable, rational part of us. It's the part of us, you know, if you think of going to an interview uh, to your annual performance evaluation with your boss, and your boss is giving you some constructive, critical feedback. Now, she is giving you this feedback, the autopilot system usually has the fight or flight response so you can have the flight response where if you want to stick your fingers in your ears and you know shout la 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 la, i can't hear you (laughs) or the fight response you know you just want to yell back at your boss and say no you're wrong (laughs) exactly exactly i'm
1: I'm fabulous exactly you're just dumb
2: (laughs) (laughs) exactly and you know those are comfortable that's what your gut tells you to do those are Mm -hmm. your intuitions and they feel comfortable. It feels like either of those is the right thing depending on your personality, whether you're more of uh, someone who is aggressive or defensive in those sorts of situations. Now, neither of those is going to help you achieve your goals of keeping your job.
1: So those are basically, if I were making the analogy to a computer system, that's my programming. Mm -hmm. That's how I'm wired. Right. 98% of my wiring is that.
2: Yes, you're wired, that's your habitual uh, state. So whether you do the putting your fingers in your ears or yelling back depends on your personality, Mm -hmm. whether you're more defensive or aggressive. And the actual intentional system is. When you turn that on, that's when you choose to incorporate your boss's feedback and take close notes on it and improve your performance in the future. It's hard. It doesn't feel intuitive. For who is that intuitive? That's, That's a learned behavior. That's something that we have to deliberately train and change ourselves. It feels hard. It doesn't feel comfortable. And so we have to go against our intuitions to achieve that and that's goes to when humans learn to live in tribes and mm-hmm. learned to live with leaders and have different hierarchies and power structures when we learned to cooperate because it doesn't feel intuitive to our gut reactions to cooperate with other human beings in a way that achieves our goals.
1: So this, I want to synthesize a little bit. So I, something happens, I have an emotional physiological response. So someone has just criticized my work mm-hmm. or given me constructive feedback, however it's framed, it feels like I'm getting criticized. Mm-hmm. As, And I want to say more emotionally aware. So I'm aware that I feel the pit in my stomach. Mm-hmm. For me, I realize other people feel that differently. Mm-hmm. I'm aware that I feel anxious in some way, mm-hmm. uh, attacked in, potentially. If it's someone who's supportive, I I can take constructive feedback and not feel attacked. But if it's unexpected, Mm -hmm. I get feedback. I'm now trying to engage my intentional brain, process what I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. This happened this weekend in a class. And part of me wanted to defend. And it was someone I trust and appreciate. But I wanted to explain why I do this. Mm -hmm. And so I needed space to explain and engage the, and I hear you. Mm -hmm. And help me think through it. But that's now bringing back online. And so maybe by speaking, I was able to get hold of my emotions. If I'm not self-aware, I have the desire to behave badly, (laughs) scream at somebody, whatever it is.
2: (laughs) You sound like you're one of the more aggressive
1: types. Uh, actually, I tend to shut down.
2: Oh, you tend to shut down. Yeah, so that's I do. Okay. This was so that's someone more defensive.
1: Yeah, someone I trust. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to stay engaged in the conversation, mm-hmm. and it was very helpful. But it's only helpful if I can be present, mm-hmm. rather than and when I say check out, just stop hearing them. Mm-hmm. And I think sure. that's our defense habitual defensive response. Yes. So when we come back from break, let's talk about how do we develop that skill to hear. Re-engage our operating system to prefrontal cortex, my brain, Mm -hmm. uh, the thing I would call my brain, and emotionally stay present so I can get the benefit of what is being shared and also keep the person engaged who is giving me what could be difficult feedback. Mm -hmm. And that person didn't need to expend her energy giving me feedback. Mm -hmm. She could have just said some nice platitudes and off we went. And I would lose the advantage. Mm -hmm. So as the employee or as the colleague or as the boss, it's important that I continue to encourage feedback Mm -hmm. or I end up in the echo chamber. Yes, And I think that's one of the as much as improving as an employee, as a boss, it's even more important because it feels risky as an employee to give my boss feedback.
2: Very much so. And we could talk about a strategy that is really helpful for bosses to get such feedback from employees.
1: Thank you. So we're going to go on break. You are listening to Gleb and Maureen, and we're talking about science-based approaches to decision-making.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
0: Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment.
3: You are listening
0: to innovative leaders driving thriving organizations to reach maureen metcalf or her guests today please call in to 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com now back to this week's program
1: Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. You're listening to Maureen Metcalf and Gleb, and we are talking about science-based decision-making. Before the break, we were talking about how we tend to go into System Mm 1, especially during times of stress, so hearing feedback in any other time of stress. Can you give us some ideas to notice when that's happening, Mm -hmm. and pull myself back into system two so that my more intentional brain is online.
2: Right. So one really good strategy is to forecast and anticipate. So anticipate, something business leaders often don't do, is anticipate when they might be feeling negative emotions. So we anticipate business problems, but I don't anticipate my feelings. Exactly. And feelings, what the research shows, is that they determine about 80% of our decision making, which is really problematic when business leaders don't anticipate what the feelings might be. If you don't anticipate when you go into a conversation with your boss that might be serious, that you might be feeling some negative emotions. Okay, and there are also ways to manage that, right? So I anticipate
1: that I'm gonna have a difficult conversation, how do I then put myself in a positive frame of mind? Mm -hmm so that the probability of it going completely upended is lower?
2: So first of all, what you can do is visualize. Mm -hmm. So visualization is a research-based strategy where before the conversation, you sit down and say, hey, what is the worst-case scenario with this conversation? How can it Mm -hmm. go badly? And you experience the stress in advance Mm. as you imagine your boss telling you something you don't want to hear.
1: I do that way more than I'd like. (laughs) Do you ruminate in terms of- I have on occasion. I am my own boss, so it's not her that I'm afraid of. Okay, there you go. (laughs) But there are situations in all of our lives, right, Mm -hmm. that it's easy to think the negative. Mm -hmm. My focus, where I have to be deliberate, is thinking the positive. What's the best possible outcome?
2: Okay, so you sound like you would be on the pessimistic scale. There are plenty of people who are on the optimistic scale who Consultants don't. Consultants are paid to be pessimistic. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm supposed to find the problems before you find the problems. So. Sure,
2: but there are plenty of business leaders, especially yeah. in leadership positions, yeah. who. So the research yes. does tend to show that people who are in leadership positions in business tend to be more optimistic than pessimistic. Interesting. And they tend to be, especially in the highest leadership positions, they tend to get there because they think everything will go well. And they tend to be promoting themselves, promoting the business, and saying Mm -hmm. everything will, will go nicely. And they don't forecast problems nearly as much as they should, including in their emotions. Interesting. So people who don't anticipate that they will be having negative emotions. Even pessimists don't think about the negative emotions they will be experiencing and how to manage them. So research on visualization shows that thinking through an upcoming conversation and having a worst-case scenario Mm -hmm. and then managing yourself, so not just keeping thinking about it over and over again, but then doing things like taking deep breaths before the conversation Mm -hmm. to manage your emotions Mm -hmm. and say, you know, what will I do when I have that conversation Mm -hmm. if it will be a worst case scenario? Mm -hmm. Let's say you're getting that constructive feedback from your boss. How will you deal with it? You will want to, your gut will tell you to either be defensive or be aggressive, but that's not going to really help yourself achieve your goals. So then you'll prepare yourself to take notes on whatever the boss says Mm -hmm. and then incorporate Mm -hmm. that into the future, into your future Mm -hmm. performance. So that's going to be really helpful for you to actually set yourself up to be less stressed in the moment because you'll know what you'll want to do. That's one. Second, because you'll experience the negative emotions beforehand, in the moment they will be less stressful. Interesting. So they will be less overwhelming because you will have anticipated them. And if it's not as bad as you think, it will be even better. That's really helpful for when you're dealing with your boss giving you constructive mm-hmm. feedback, Now, you also have some situations when you have sudden feedback that you haven't anticipated. Mm -hmm. That's a separate situation. So what you want to do for those sorts of situations is, in general, prepare yourself to have a specific attitude, a habitual attitude to criticism. So prepare a mental habit. It's called a trigger action plan Hmm. in the scholarship. So develop a trigger when you think of, well, what's the cue for my desired behavior. Mm-hmm. So you have a, if a cue is, I hear criticism, then you want to develop an, an automatic response to it, a new response, one that's not going to be either defensive or aggressive. But receptive. Right, receptive. So things like echo the feedback, mm-hmm. what the person actually said in your own words, then say things like, hey, that thank you for giving me that feedback. Let me take some time to think about it. And that can give you the space and distance to think about the feedback. And then if you want to respond while the person is right there or respond later, but that gives you space and time to think about Mm -hmm. it, that makes the person feel validated, feel heard when you echo the person, and then makes the person understand that you take their Mm -hmm. feedback seriously because they say you will think about it. And then then I actually need to think about it. And then you actually need to think about it whether... (laughs) It's taking, you know, 10 seconds in the moment to think about it or whether it's going away and thinking about it later. But you want to give yourself some space and time because that's what you need to turn on your intentional (coughs) system. Now, when you give yourself the cue, the trigger, you know, hearing constructive criticism or any sort of Mm -hmm. criticism and then having that sort of response, that's essentially retraining your autopilot system. Mm -hmm. So here's where more research comes in. Unlike the subconscious and the conscious model, what the recent science has found is that we can access our autopilot system through our intentional system. We can deliberately learn new behaviors that we want to have in the business environment as well as other environments by using this trigger response process. So identifying certain triggers that should lead to behaviors And so that is the way to address certain negative behaviors that we don't want to have.
1: So this is basically reprogramming my brain, building new neural pathways and strengthening them and letting the old neural pathways dissipate.
2: Yes. uh, So in our brain, the programming is habits. That's Mm what the brain's programming is when we do a habit like brushing our teeth, you know. Most people by now brush their teeth. As adults, yeah. As adults, right. So that's how we have developed that programming. We have developed those habits. Mm -hmm. And this is a way of retraining your autopilot system using your intentional system. Our intentional system is what develops new habits. You know, when you were first learning to drive the car, that was very complex. Mm -hmm. It took a lot of effort and time. Now, most people who drive cars do it very habitually. They don't spend time thinking, about you know, they do other yeah, stuff. or my well, hands in the right. Well, they shouldn't yes. be doing other stuff. But, that's but you know, doing other stuff with their thinking, not mm-hmm. thinking very deliberately about how right. am I driving. Mm-hmm. So that's reprogramming yourself. So you want to reprogram any sort of negative behavior you have, not constructive behavior for your business success. And that way you can reprogram yourself to be very deliberate in how you react. And over time, it will become automatic over time you'll automatically respond in a constructive way to feedback. So by now I have reprogrammed myself. I mm-hmm. used to be I'm more aggressive in response to critical feedback. I want to argue back, not shut down. Mm-hmm. I used to be that way. I have now reprogrammed myself to be much more calm in response mm-hmm. to it and do things like I said to okay, you're giving me critical feedback. Let me just see this as a data point. Let me echo to make sure I heard that. And let me take the time to think about what has been said and choose whether to respond in the moment after taking 10 seconds to think about it or respond later afterward.
1: Okay, so we've talked about then visualizing kind of scenario planning for negative events. Mm -hmm. Before I go into a meeting, do you also do something correspondingly for people like me who are pessimistic and can play out the 75,000 scenarios of bad? Mm -hmm. I need to focus on playing out the good scenarios because often I will over project the bad. Mm -hmm. So my practice is what's the best possible outcome And how do I prepare myself for that? And then how do I behave in a way that will promote that rather than Mm -hmm. anticipating the bad and behaving in a way that promotes that?
2: Right. That's a sort of a different issue when you're uncertain about what situation Mm -hmm. will be. Mm -hmm. I tend to advise people to focus on addressing the worst possible scenario. You know what's the worst thing that can happen mm-hmm. and then any other bad things will not be as bad mm-hmm. so that's a strong thing uh, that i recommend to people to prepare for the worst case mm-hmm. scenario even for people who are pessimistic you
1: mm. know? <laughs> even for <laughs> we go by bunkers <laughs> <laughs> and I'm i'm not doing that i'm saying that in jest but in some cases if you're already pessimistic that could lead you down a pretty severe
2: path i have not seen that if hmm. people imagine the worst-case scenario, you know, let's say the worst-case scenario is you'll be fired. Well, okay, if you'll be fired, what's going to be your next best alternative? Mm-hmm. You'll find a job elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's okay. You know, and then if the boss is not going to fire you, you're going to be, oh, okay, I, at least I'm not fired, right? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I get some bad things. Okay. So in that sort of situation, not thinking about all the bad things that can happen, but thinking about the worst thing that can happen. And I see where that can help. And then, you know, not ruminating on all the other negative scenarios. And that's, I think that's the point,
1: right? right. I think about it, I prep for it, and then I go back about my business. Right. I don't ruminate.
2: Ruminating is really harmful. So ruminating, keeping thinking about it is going to be really harmful if you just think through the worst case scenario and you say, that's the worst, that's the baseline. I don't need to think about the, the negative stuff. Okay. Now we can talk about the positive stuff. And here, there's a different sort of strategy Mm -hmm. that comes into play called priming. And priming, it's a really interesting strategy. When we get our minds to think about a certain direction, we tend to notice things that will help us lead to that direction. And that's what I was pointing to. Right. So that's what I sensed you were pointing to. So priming, and folks can look this up online, it's basically when we focus our attention on a certain scenario, our mind will tend to notice details and strategies and things that will lead to that scenario that's why planning ahead is really good for business leaders and planning ahead leads if you have a certain plan
1: mm-hmm.
2: our minds will tend to intuitively orient toward that plan whatever it happens to be and notice details notice strategies and think of solutions to problems that will orient us toward that future plan.
1: So it would be beneficial for someone like me who already sees the negative Mm -hmm. to play that out. What Mm. what is a negative scenario, one Mm. of the more dire ones without the world blowing up? And then go to what's the most likely positive scenario Mm. that could happen and priming my thinking so that I am more, the higher probability of creating that positive thing. Yes. Because I'm assuming if I'm only focused on what could go wrong, I'm also priming myself to look for negative cues.
2: The point of focusing on what can go wrong is to address Mm -hmm. your emotions. What's the worst case thing? And then your emotions will be prepared for that. Not thinking about, you know how do I necessarily focus on the the worst-case thing and Mm -hmm. so on. Mm -hmm. It's beneficial to focus on getting the positive outcome that you desire, Mm -hmm. but then you'll be emotionally prepared. So here's the difference between the autopilot system and the intentional system. You want to get your autopilot system prepared for the worst-case scenario Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because then you won't be so afraid of what's going on. And And then then your intentional intentional system. system will try to drive you toward the positive outcome.
1: I like the balance of that, that I'm not just preparing for the negative, mm-hmm. but I am proactively building a system and uh, increasing the probability that my desired outcome
2: actually happens. Yes, that's how you work with your intentional system. That's how you work with your intuitive thinking and your intentional thinking, that the autopilot intuitive thinking and your intentional logical thinking. You want to use your intentional and logical thinking to drive you toward the outcome that you desire, while addressing the negative fears and anxieties of the Mm -hmm. autopilot system that could
1: harm you. So when we talk about emotional intelligence, I think an important point here is often people think this makes me touchy-feely. And what I hear you saying is, I am proactively managing my emotions and being conscious of them so they don't abduct me, in <laughs> essence, right, that I become some raving lunatic because something triggered me, my cortisol zooms through my body mm-hmm. as if I'm driving down the street and I a mattress has fallen off the truck in front of me <laughs> and I zo- I immediately scan for which way can I go or am I headed straight toward, tw- recently tree trunks rolled off Oh wow. and I was able to zoom around mm-hmm. But that could have been a fairly disastrous, a mattress I might not die, tree trunks falling off the transportation truck could die. Yes. So I think most of us have had that flood of hormones. I'm guessing that's cortisol?
2: Cortisol mainly.
1: And I feel like I've just... Cortisol
2: and adrenaline.
1: Adrenaline, that's the other. So it it feels like I've just run a marathon. (laughs) And that kept me alive. Mm -hmm. But that I have that same thing going on when I'm in a meeting, Mm -hmm. not helpful. Right. So what you're saying is the more I prepare my body... Mm -hmm. the better able I am to manage that. And for me, that's what emotional intelligence is. It's not huggy, touchy, feely stuff. Well, that may also (laughs) also be good. But for those listeners who are thinking we're going into this woo-woo land, Mm -hmm. this is the hardcore skill of noticing, naming, and managing emotions Mm -hmm. so they don't manage me.
2: Yes, I think that's definitely the case. I also think that people who think that we're going into woo-woo land just haven't read the science on this. You know, the science is very hard science. This is about as basic as you can get. Mm -hmm. You know, what is going on inside our heads and what's going on inside our heads are these hormones that are causing us to act in certain ways. Mm -hmm. I mean, a common problem for leaders that I consult with is that they tend to make decisions way too fast. Ah, Way too fast.
1: So let's come back to that after break, because I think that's a juicy topic. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Decisions way too fast.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
0: Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit metcalf-associates.com.
3: listening
0: to innovative leaders driving thriving organizations to reach maureen metcalf or her guest today please call in to 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com now back to this week's program Welcome back to Innovative
1: Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. You're joining Maureen Metcalf and Gleb Saporski. We're talking about science-based decisions. And before we left, we were talking about leaders making decisions too fast. And this probably sounds like an odd idea because often we try to help leaders make decisions faster. And yet that can occasionally lead to poor decisions. And mm-hmm. that's what you started with, the mm-hmm. idea that mm-hmm. science-based decision-making helps us avoid
2: disasters. Yes. So to say more about that, please. Sure. So when leaders are often rewarded for making decisions fast for being strong leaders, it's associated in our minds with a, a sign of strong leadership. However, research shows that leaders tend to make decisions too fast, and they do so by going with their gut. And that's another problem that leaders often feel that they should go with their gut and their gut, whatever they're comfortable with, whatever their intuitions tell them to do, Mm -hmm. they do those things, they do them quickly. Now, those things are going to be right most of the time, but sometimes they will go wrong in systematic and predictable ways. And that's because of our autopilot system. When people go with their Mm -hmm. gut, they go with their autopilot system. And their autopilot system is well suited for the Savannah environment, but it's not so well suited for the current environment. For example, let's talk about the glass ceiling. There's a notorious problem that women don't get as much pay or as many opportunities as they deserve in our society. And part of that is because of systematic structural issues caused by the environment in which we find ourselves in, by the business environment. Part of that comes from women's natural intuitions. Women tend to be more pessimistic than men because they have less testosterone. And testosterone Mm. is an aggressive hormone (coughs) It causes people to be more aggressive, more confident, and men have more of that. And so they tend to get ahead because of it. They tend to be more optimistic. Women tend to be more pessimistic. They tend to be more quiet. They tend to advocate for themselves as much as they should. They don't tend to ask for raises as often as they should. They don't tend to start their businesses when they should, new businesses. They don't tend to pursue clients and contracts as much as they should because their gut tells them that they shouldn't do that. And that's a physiological issue, it sounds like. It is a physiological issue. They don't have as much of the testosterone hormone, which causes them to be less aggressive than they should be. So as a result of that… Should as compared to men share as compared to the optimal outcome. Got it, okay. So this is always, always compared. Men tend to make decisions that are too aggressive and too optimistic. They tend to take too many risks. Women tend to take too few risks. They tend to fail less than they should. They tend to be no, less no, experimental no. and they tend to not take as many opportunities as they should. So when they make decisions in the moment, most women, and far from all, but most women, the baseline is that their gut tells them to not make the decisions that they should be Uh doing in order to get ahead and break that glass ceiling. Men have the opposite problem, that they tend to, when they go with their gut, they tend to make decisions that are too aggressive, too risky, and take too many opportunities and fail too often.
1: So this is, when we talk about the balance of men and women in business, Uh offsetting the too risky with the not risky enough may help us find uh, an appropriate balance for optimal outcome.
2: Absolutely. So research tends to show that the best companies, they well, currently we have a problem of too many men being in boardroom positions, too many men being in leadership positions. And when you introduce more women into leadership positions, they tend to balance out the excessive riskiness and optimism of men with more realistic kind of criticism Mm -hmm. of... Mm -hmm their riskiness so when you have more women in leadership positions they would tend to the companies would tend to take less risks and lose less money but it needs to be balanced because if you have too many women in leadership positions they will tend to take too few risks and so therefore you need more men i mean this is not inherently about men This is inherently about optimism and pessimism. And testosterone. Yes, and testosterone, which is, I mean, it just correlates with men and women Mm -hmm. that way. Mm -hmm. So optimism and pessimism are two types of thinking errors that people tend to experience. And There is a whole bunch of thinking errors that cause us to make bad decisions in the moment if we go with our guts. The Uh the thinking errors are called cognitive biases. Wikipedia has a list of over 100 of them. I don't often recommend that people go to Wikipedia, but the Wikipedia (laughs) list is actually quite good. It has good scholars working on them, and more are being added every month. There's, like I said, a list of over 100, more are added every month, because this is really cutting-edge stuff, folks. This is cutting-edge stuff, and this is something that we really are working on producing more and more scholarship to help business leaders avoid disaster.
1: So men think too fast, women Mm -hmm. think too slow, men are too optimistic, women are too pessimistic. Is the best solution to that to find the right balance for the situation, it may not be 50-50, but Mm -hmm. whatever the environment is, is that Mm -hmm. the optimal approach or is there also some training women to be more aggressive and training men to be more receptive?
2: Both of those are the case. So, for women and men who want to make better decisions, they should determine whether they tend to be too optimistic or too mm-hmm. pessimistic. Most women tend to be too, too optimistic. Most men tend to be too pessimistic, but not all. I Wait, tend to be. Did too you
1: get that backwards? <laughs> hmm? You said women are too pessimistic.
2: Yes. And men are too optimistic. Right. Okay, got it. That's right. So most men should determine whether they're optimistic, which they tend to be, Mm -hmm. and then employ the strategy of de-anchoring. So this is something I consult with uh, companies and leaders on de-anchoring. And de-anchoring is essentially figuring out how optimistic you are or how pessimistic you are and then going from that anchor where you currently are to where you want to be. And so let's say you tend to be underestimate the potential of what you can actually accomplish by 30%. Then, you know, So you want to put a number on it, and then you want to calibrate to where you want to be. So be 30% more aggressive than you are for women, let's say. So and,
1: retrain my brain.
2: Right, retraining your brain. Mm-hmm. So having that trigger action plan you know mm-hmm. oh i want to ask for a raise that's going to be you know 30% higher than my current salary well then you actually want to ask for 50% higher or okay. something like that so figuring out where you are and retraining your brain another strategy is external perspective so when men and women or optimists and pessimists work together optimists should listen more to pessimists and pessimists should listen more to optimists to collaborate together and make the best decisions
1: so let's start the wrap up and mm-hmm. let's start with how would people contact you to
2: get the tip sheets? There are a couple of tip sheets that I developed on helping companies and leaders make better decisions. Mm-hmm. One is a pre-mortem strategy where you get in a group of people and you figure out how a project might fail <laughs> before you start that project. You know, you don't want to do a post-mortem on how the project mm-hmm. failed. You figure it out in advance and then you can make much better decisions, and address the problems in advance. And people can email me at gleb, G-L-E-B, at intentionalinsights.org. Okay. There's another tip sheet that helps people make decisions before they decide on which project, which helps them put numbers on it and calibrate what is going to be the best decision to make on any project where they have several options.
1: Okay, so thank you. And let me do a wrap-up and... Fill in if I've missed anything. First, I would love to hear your feedback. So info at metcalf-associates.com or Facebook Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Hopefully you heard something today from Gleb that you can put into place. And I really strongly encourage you to reach out to him and get the insight sheets. And we'll also post something on LinkedIn and on my blog and on the Voice America blog. A couple of things that stood out to me as someone who tends to be slightly pessimistic, the idea that I think through what is likely to happen, worst case, feel the emotions and manage them, and then think through the positive outcome. And by focusing on that, I will be looking for those cues and create a better outcome. The other thing that stood out for me is women tend to be more pessimistic men more optimistic. So I should, as I'm walking into a major decision, if we don't have the right gender mix, ensure that I am seeking input from the opposite gender or someone who has a bias different than mine. (laughs) And then the other is figure out about what percentage my bias is. So if I am pessimistic, which in some cases I am, I should then adjust for a 20% optimism bump and retrain my intuition so my gut is more accurate so that I can go with my gut and trust that I will end up in something close to the right spot. And those approaches would be appropriate for men, women, and people who have a physiology of one type and an, and a, an emotional response of another. So while it is testosterone, some of us as, as women have been socialized in the business setting to take on a much more male perspective. And there are conversely men who, in other settings have been socialized to take on more of a a female perspective. So I do want to point out that body parts don't necessarily determine my bias. It's a place to start. So thank you so much, Glob, for joining us. And to our listeners, I hope that you have heard something today that you can put into practice immediately to improve your
2: leadership. Thank you so much for having me on, Marie.